Hi, I'm Katie Burke, Associate Editor at American Scientist Magazine. In our Pizza Lunch podcast, we interview scientists who give lunchtime lectures at our headquarters in North Carolina. Dr. Charles Gersbach researches genomic engineering. This burgeoning field has come a long way over the past couple of decades, and Dr. Gersbach talked about how the field has changed and is changing as new methods for more targeted genetic therapies are developed. There's many different approaches to gene therapy. So some of the most common are viral delivery vehicles. Even within that category, there's, there's many different um, viral particles that you can use that all have very different properties. There's um, non-viral methods that deliver just pure DNA or even RNA. And um, those things can sometimes be delivered directly. They can sometimes be delivered in combination with some type of chemical formulation, maybe a nanoparticle. And which approach you use um, largely has to do with uh, the specific problem. So for some cell types or some diseases, you want a particular virus, other diseases a different virus, other things maybe um, just standard uh, plasma DNA will work. Now at the same time, all of those conventional approaches um, involve gene delivery, so adding extra copies of genes to cells. And a, a new approach that's emerging is what we call genome editing or genome engineering, where rather than adding extra copies of genes to cells, you're going into the genome and making very specific changes to the gene sequence as it occurs naturally. And the advantage of this is that rather than, if you have a mutation to a gene, rather than having to add an extra copy of that gene to the genome, which has the potential to have some adverse consequences, in this case, you can go in and correct the mutation um, such that the, uh, the genome looks like a, a healthy, uh, normal genome. There's a lot of things to be excited about in the gene therapy field in general right now. And some of these are things that we're working on in my lab, and some of these are things that are going on in the community. And in the community, I think that you can look at things like um, uh, lentiviral gene delivery to blood stem cells is, uh, has been very successful in recent years for treating things like sickle cell disease, immunodeficiency, and a variety of other rare diseases. Things like uh, adeno-associated virus delivery to places like the eye and to the muscle and, and to the liver in recent years has corrected diseases like blindness, uh, hemophilia, and uh, even uh, more rare diseases like the lipoprotein lipase deficiency for which there's an approved product in Europe. With conventional gene therapy methods that have been around for decades, they were all limited to being able to add extra genetic material to cells. And that works very well for in, in some cases, but in other cases it's, um, it's disrupted things in the genome. Um, in some clinical trials it led to cancer, and, uh, and it really limits what you're able to do in terms of treating disease. So a much better approach than being able to, uh, or a much more uh, flexible approach than being able to only add genetic material to the cell is to be able to go in and change the genome sequence however you would like. And so this possibility really emerged with the advent of zinc finger nucleases. And you know, the idea of engineered zinc finger proteins came along in the early 90s. And um, you know, about almost 10 years later was the first uh, zinc finger nuclease where they used this approach to be able to go in and modify DNA. Um, and then in the last couple of years, it's, it's gone into uh, clinical trials. Zinc finger proteins are the most common class of DNA binding proteins across the genome. So nature figured out a long time ago how to make proteins to bind to certain genes and turn them on or turn them off. And the most common solution that nature came up with to do that is to use what are called zinc finger modules. And so these are little modules that recognize short sequences of DNA. 
But if you link them together, you can recognize longer sequences of DNA. And that allows you to specify a particular address in the whole sequence of the human genome that this protein binds to that sequence and only that sequence. And so if you have all of the individual modules, you can link them together in the right order to um, make a new protein that can target any site that you want. And so that was really the basis for the zinc finger protein technology. And that led to the ability to um, make a DNA binding protein that can bind to any site in the genome. And then in order to get them to modify sequence, they attached them to different enzymes that cut and paste DNA from the genome. And so that's the nuclease component. And so when you put these two parts together, you have the zinc finger nuclease. The original work with these genome engineering technologies was all done with cells and culture. Um, uh, so cells isolated from, from humans or animals and, and cultured in a, in, in a Petri dish. And once it was well developed in that context, it was able to move on to other things. And, and one of the next things that was moved on to is creating transgenic animals. Um, and so for this, you can, for example, either modify embryonic stem cells and culture um, derived from different animals, whether it be mice or, or, or rats or, or other types of model organisms, or even do um, direct genome editing in uh, fertilized eggs. And so that's another approach in which these can be used for, um, for creating um, genetically modified animals as uh, models. Um, for, for diseases, for, for biomedical research. More recently, um, there's been some uh, pioneering advances in applying these technologies in a way that you can um, do genome engineering in living cells in an adult organism, um, in the tissue, without having to remove the cells from the patient. The work that we're doing at Duke that I'm really excited about is that now that we've developed these um, really the, the proof of principle that we can get these technologies to work is really taking the next steps to advancing them to improve human health. And one of our main emphasis uh, is to uh, is is, uh, applying the technologies to Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And that has a lot of its own unique challenges. And we've shown that we can modify the genome of, uh, of patient cells and culture, but there's a, a whole new hurdle of a whole new um, uh, group of challenges that come up when you try and actually apply this to, to living patients. And so that's really where um, I think the next frontier of this work is going to be, is taking it from proof of principle and cultured cells to addressing the hurdles um, when you're uh, uh, not only going into uh, in vivo, going into animal models, but then going to larger, um, uh, a larger animals like humans. This Pizza Lunch podcast was produced by Katie Lee Corder, Web Managing Editor of American Scientist Magazine, and myself. The magazine is published by Sigma Psi, the Scientific Research Society. The music is Spot by Ardent Octopus, courtesy of Medios Music Alley.